Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Black ball. Black 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 ball. Black 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 What's up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. I really enjoy my next guest. I, I like listening to him talk because if you're like me, you like to peek behind the curtain sometimes. If you're like me, you like to peek behind the curtain all the time. Um, and this man has a job that uh, I think a lot of people would probably be envious of. Uh, I think, uh, but I also think what he's going to share with us is that a lot of people have no fucking idea what they're getting into when they do a job like this. And um, we are going to talk about that job and a lot more. And I'm just going to welcome to the show, Brent Donnelly from the Brent on tour podcast and the kids on the escalator podcast. How are you, buddy? Hey buddy. Thanks for having me, man. Sorry. No problem for the frantic change in schedule, but I, I love it. it goes. I love it. You're, you're <laughs> on tour literally in an airport. You're like the Tom Hanks of like touring managers. Yeah. Not living here yet. But uh, I don't know if I could live in the Montreal airport. It's it's kind of spread out. And there's not really a lot of places to hang out. So, but the pornography is within arm's reach. They don't put it up on high shelves in Montreal. It's not like Amsterdam advertising like, but I'm sure it's 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 prominent. I had a really just as an aside a really weird experience with probably a criminal um, when I was like ten. <laughs> My parents let me go to the store in Montreal. I was born in Montreal, and um, we used to go there all the time. And they let me walk to the store at 10. And I was walking. I was looking for like big league shoe, I think. And there was a man standing at the uh, at the magazine rack. And and I looked up and I saw Playboy at eye height. And I was like four foot ten. And he just handed it to me. This fucking old man. Hands Here a ten-year-old boy, right. you know. But anyways, big up Montreal. You got a lot of pedos in the area, I think. But what are you going to do? <laughs> I think um, so, yeah. I... <clears throat> The the sober part um, of your you you did a series on the Brenton on tour just started podcast. yeah I just I just started um, basically a ten part series within my show like I, I do you know my mine generally covers coffee and travel uh, music life you know and so and variations of of those in some capacity I've I've had a you know have you made it like a making it series I've had a best coffee from around the world all just kind of stuff that incorporates the people that I know into the show or like you know that do what i do or whatever yeah so um look at james wow. um, so tell her to say hi next time she comes by and we always like to meet this getting a montreal smoke me anyways my profile at the airport at the airport um <laughs> yeah. so then what happened was is i um you know, I, 
been been sober three and a half years now. I just thought it was something that um, there's a lot of guys in our business that have chosen, and girls, women, everybody that have chosen to be sober in this world or um, are working towards it or whatever. And so definitely on this whole COVID thing, um, I, I've noticed it more than ever, and I've seen that community. And so I thought I would do a little feature on it and bring some people in that would want to talk about it. So, yeah, Have you so. found that, because um, I, I, I did uh, not a similar job, but um, I used to throw raves and manage electronic music DJs in like the early 2000s. Yeah. I don't think I had a sober night ever when I was doing that shit. That is a little bit different because, you know, working for myself and ecstasy and the rave scene like literally people would sign contracts and we'd all be mashed out on mdma right like that that's the sort of way the culture was um i can easily come up with a stereotype of what it must be like to be part of the touring crew um with alcohol and drugs but uh, is it is it something oh that's just the industry or or is it not as common as we think when, when it comes you know, to the touring crew it's an interesting one because um, I can't speak to. I've honestly not seen a lot of access it, if I'm going to be honest. In 20 years that I've been doing it, uh, despite what you read and people smashing hotels and all the rest of it, a lot of that stuff is done behind closed doors. So you'll maybe hear of somebody that had a problem and you'll be like, whoa, I didn't know that. Or you'll hear from somebody that, you know, got clean and you didn't know. Um, so it's not as like, oh, there's the room, there's the Coke room, and there's this room. It doesn't, it, it's just a cleaner environment on tour right now. It just is overall. Like, I mean, there's, and I touch on it in this, which is there's way more options for health. There's way more options to keep fit. There's way, way more options to keep your mental health up. There's way more support. It's not as stigmatized where people go, oh, you know, like, oh, you quit drinking or whatever, you loser. Like, it's just not like that. There's a group of people that will, that are, that are with you on that journey. So, um, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Sure. It exists, but, um, I got to tell you, man, it's maybe I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm 20 years in, but maybe I came in for 20 plus years in, maybe I came in after it, but I just don't see it as much now. Yeah. I mean, sex, drugs, and rock and roll doesn't include alcohol. So you're safe, right? <laughs> did you now listen i know a lot of people uh um did the aa thing or the na thing um when i quit i i just i just did it myself because i had tried aa in the past and it just wasn't for me right and i know yeah. it works for a lot of people um yeah. but it wasn't for me but when you went on your sobriety kick were you like um doing anything else and did you quit those as well or no i was strictly just just drinks and and, and, and it was really a, a scenario of just um, pattern. So I think we touched on it before. Like, I, you know, you do a 16-hour day, and then you jump on the tour bus, and it's, you know, have a beer, have a wine, have a, have a whiskey, whatever it is. And then you do that every day. You just do it every day. And, and not just my industry. Construction guys, plumbers, you know, you, and like whatever it is, uh, Wall Street guys, pattern. So you get in the pattern of having a stressful day, you have a couple of drinks. And so for me, that was just the pattern. It was just this pattern of like, man, like every single day, I'm just, I'm having a drink and I'm not getting wasted or I might have a double or two, but I'm not really getting fall down drunk or anything like that. And, uh, but I just noticed, I was like, I did the math on the numbers and I was like, geez, 
I think I did a thousand drinks in 2018. People are like you're you're crazy, and I'm like, well, no, that's like only two drinks a day plus a little bit more. Yeah, you're right at the line of being considered a clinical alcoholic. If you, I think it's 15 to 18 drinks a week. I heard it's three drinks a week is what you're supposed to. It's your, the minimum. Three drinks is what you're what you should only be consuming. It's sort of a two to three a week. Yeah, and a health and from a healthy standpoint. So that was an interesting stat. <laughs> well, sure, but it was. I did. I did the math, and so I, I. I have this theory. I have this fun thing about that we're born with five thousand drinks, and we can choose to use them how we want. So you, you know, you can use them. That's that's two drinks. A, that's two drinks a week for twenty-five years or so. I don't know what the math is. I did it before. It's like two drinks a week for a certain amount of time. And yeah, that's just a nice number. And I used a thousand of them in twenty eighteen casually. So I'm like, can I do another thousand in 2019 and so forth and so forth? It just, it does, it doesn't, what I do for a living, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work to be doing 16 hour days and four hours sleep and then doing it all again the next day. It doesn't work. Well, it's, it's funny because, um, I'm doing the math in my head and Jesus Christ, I don't know what a 40 ouncer of vodka and four bottles of wine a week is, but I'm sure it's more than 15 drinks. Um, I don't know. If you I, I like the I like the point up for the record, James. One second. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the restaurant here got my rod. And then she brought me this. So I'm rocking oh. the two cup thing. Look at this. Oh, you I know? thought she bought you brought you the mug itself, and then you can no, just pour she it in. Brought me a mug full of coffee, and I oh. have coffee. So anyway, go oh. ahead. Sorry. Well, that's service. Um, yeah. No, I was going to say like. It, uh, one thing I noticed, um, and it's good actually that you c- came at this from a place where you weren't drinking as heavily as, as myself, because um, maybe you did notice that you became more productive. Because what I noticed when I stopped drinking is that I literally went from like, why am I not making it anywhere to like, like I was laser focused and I've been in work mode in two and a half years. Well, Bradley Cooper said it best. He, he, he quit because he said he wasn't he felt like drinking was going to hold him back from reaching his full potential. And you don't really realize that until you stop. You're just not as um, foggy is not the word I'm looking for. Cause again, I, I, I didn't like drink nine drinks a night and it was waking up to it with vodka and going to sleep with wine. Like it just, it was just this, this pattern of just every day having one or two or maybe three days off, maybe four. But that I, what was happening is, is that you, you, uh, you're just a little, you're always constantly just a little foggy or you're just a little bit whatever. And so I, I found that I, I'm much more in the moment, just in life without it. My days aren't controlled around it. Like it's like day off in Dublin. Okay. Well, we got to go here first before we do anything. We got to go, whatever we do has to end at the top. Whatever we do has to end at the Jameson plan. That just make me up anymore. Just from a time management perspective, you know, because everything that like um, orbits around drinking, yeah, takes up time. Like time. the whole like, where are we going to meet? Oh, let's go meet here, and then we're going to spend more money because we're drinking in public instead of drinking at our hotel room, and we're gonna, you know, we're 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 gonna socialize and we're gonna laugh our ass off. We're gonna you know stop keeping track of time, and then next thing you know, we've just burned four hours with orbiting well, like with drinking as that centerpiece i i know what that's like um, every single day with the same people with the same stories yeah it's like, like the it's connecting just, uh, it's tissue it's the connecting tissue and in, in the way that uh co-workers socialize it's well, like even it last night even yeah. last night last show of the tour and uh 
you know, people come in, all right, we're going to go here for a drink. We're going to go for here. And, um, and it's, it's like, I understand that like at 11 o'clock or midnight, you know, there's nothing, you can't necessarily go to a place to have a club soda and lime. That's not a bar. Sure you can. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. Do you, I, do you go I, out and just not drink? Cause yeah, I, yeah. You know. I went out, actually, yeah. I went out last night with, with the team just to say hi and whatever. And I had a, a couple of colleagues and, um, and someone's like, do you want to try the, the Corona non-alcoholic beer? And I'm like, I didn't know they made them. So sure, I'll try yeah. one. And it was fun. Like, I don't, I don't get caught in the, um, oh, people are going to look at me weird thing. I mean, maybe that's your first kind of five weeks or six weeks of this. If your circle is used to you drinking and all of a sudden you switch to like club soda and lime and people are like, you know, does it make me less fun? I don't know. You'd have to yeah no and that's a fair point because um also if you're an asshole like i'm an asshole um a little bit so um when i go when i went out when i stopped drinking um the couple times people would be like you know oh what are you not gonna have a drink to fury and i'm like no because you're gonna get drunk and i'm slowly gonna get better looking and you're slowly gonna get sloppy and gross so it works out for me fine right <laughs> like it didn't I mean, it wasn't I never really got bothered by the peer pressure part of drinking, you know? Yeah, it's, it's in our business, it's definitely, a, you know, when a tour comes together for the first time, when you're you're putting 100 people together for the first time, and it's like the, the whole thing is let's go to the pub or everyone's like, that's how people connect is over drinking. Every industry, not just mine, every industry, that, that's how people connect. Let's go for the pub, what is your drinks, let's do that. Um, it's just the universal language of connection. So... The most difficult part for a lot of people, which I think why they bail out on the journey, is because that they can't shake that that association of connection. So for me, it's always been like I have to remove it as from a good time, and I have to remove it as something that I require or you know that that I need to have a good time. Once you start this association, that it's easier. Yeah, and you know what, sponsors um, don't help, especially sponsors that uh, alcohol sponsors in industries like yours. I have a clip here from when you had Dean on the show, so I'm just gonna play that out. Yeah, here. sure. The goals that you set out as a drinking, you're like, oh yeah, oh my god, I'm great friends with the Jameson people. I've I've made it. Speaking of making mm. it, <laughs> I've made yeah. it as a dr I've made it as a drinker. Now, Jameson wants to send me a care package. That's how far I've made it. <laughs> so. Dude, Jameson used to send me bottles of booze with my name on them. Right. Like I've got one know, upstairs. Like, I should have brought it down yeah. here. So I've got I have several. That was a big moment for me. I came back holding that like the Stanley Cup. It was just well, but but you know what it is yeah. is like it's it's fascinating the change that occurs in individuals who go from like not imagining their life without alcohol because they truly do need it. And listen, it works. Like fuck, the reason why we drank for as long as we did and enjoyed it to the extent we did is because it fucking works. Like. Yeah. If you've ever been drunk before, you know what I'm talking about. But there's yeah. 35 minutes of fun in there. I boiled it down. 35 to 39 minutes of fun. Because the chemical reaction when you get drunk literally lasts for 35 minutes. And the way that I drank is the way I drink everything. Coffee, water. It's like boom, boom, boom. You keep going. So that 35 minutes, it's gone. And I'm on my way to blackout before I know it. Right? Like that was, if you boil down the experience, that's what it is. However, to your point, we are constantly under the cast mental concept that if we don't, if someone takes something away from us, no matter what it is, it's wrong. It's an, it's an unjust 
wrong thing that happened to us and we and it's like unfair that and then you you look at yourself because when i quit drinking i looked at myself legitimately for a year Mm -hmm. like you fucking loser (laughs) like i'm going to meetings everybody's telling me i'm not i'm like you're a fucking loser aren't you look at you look at you've done You've drank so much you can't drink anymore. And even if you could drink, it just turns you into an asshole. And you want it so bad because you know that it makes you feel good and you can't have it. Look what you can't have. That's an interesting point. Well, it's what everybody goes through when they first quit drinking if they drink too much. I, it's You get that, everybody. that, that you, you feel bad that you failed at drinking. Yeah, <laughs> you fucking failed. You failed you life. Know. You failed everyone around you. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. You fail the drinking. <laughs> well, that's the that's the feeling. That, hey, number one, thanks for watching. Appreciate oh, no worries. Thank you. Um, but um, yeah, you you think of things you fail and like, like you, know, you try to get that job, you don't get it. You you uh, your grades at school are shit, so you don't get into a college, and you feel like you failed. All the things that we we think that we're good at, you know, are we good at drinking? Yeah, I can have four drinks, and cruise along, and whatever. But then when it gets to the point where you recognize that that maybe you shouldn't do it anymore, then there's something else that you failed at. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? Like um, the way that Dean was describing that year where he was taking a look at himself, that's like every cocaine hangover I've ever had. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know if that you have any experience with that. But no, it, I don't. It, I was never a drug. I was never a drug guy. So for me, it's it's all been it's all been uh, just just like alcohol, just drinking. Yeah, well, it's an awful, awful um, feeling because yeah. you it, it 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 attacks you, it attacks you in the same way like the shame centers that you might feel like you drink like a bottle of vodka and you wake up the next day feeling like shit. You have there's sort some sort of shame attached to that. Times that by like a thousand because it attacks your dopamine and and you, it's it's depleted and it's trying to get back and as it's trying to rejuvenate. You're sitting there going, why am I so fucking worthless? Why did I snort a half an eight ball last night? What the fuck is wrong with me? And you right. stay in that mode until you go out that night. And then you and have then another like, drink. 
and then you're having a bump and then you're like hitting on the waitress and then you know and it's yeah so it's it's a weird feeling okay cool so we got the sobriety thing um uh we talked a little off air a little bit i wanted to ask you questions about some of the artists that you've um that you've toured with and you correctly um just made me clear that you don't necessarily have swinging from the chandelier stories but I'm really interested in the humanity part of famous people. And um, you just mentioned that you happened, and I'm not sure if this even falls in that category, that you, I think you did Prince's last couple uh, shows in Canada. I, in Vancouver. If I, can think, in Van, in, I think Vancouver. I don't think he did Toronto after that, but I think okay. they could have been Canada, but definitely Vancouver. Cause then he, Fair enough. Um, so that. Vancouver. Uh, either way, I, you know, um, he's one of those artists where, um, like, I... I I can't stand 80s music, um, except for things like Prince and Depeche Mode. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, those are the only things. But I could never get a read on what he was like. Um, I just wonder if you had any insight there. Like, Well, I mean, you know. so that, that thing, that, the funny thing is, is like a year prior to that, I was asked if I would go down and run an arena show for him in, in California. And I was like... Whoa, okay. And the you know, the, the stories are legendary. Yeah. The, the stories are legendary as far as like what you know what he needs or what he requires, etc. So that didn't happen, it was kind of choked. And then I got a call to do this show, he shows at the folk theater in Vancouver. So basically Prince at that time was renting these rooms and doing interviews on the motor and renting the rooms. He had an all-girl band from Toronto and he typically went out and just did four shows over two days uh, and, you know, pulled in a whole bunch of money. And, and I went through, before we even started the first show, there was three production managers that had come on. These are the people I call. What are you doing? What do you need from me? How's it going to go? Hey, we're loading in at this time. We're going to, you know, this is the set time. We need this for the stage. He needs this for his room. They changed that person. So the person that actually I got on show day was not somebody I'd actually advanced or did the show any discussions with. So he shows up and goes, this is wrong, this is wrong, or this is right, or this is the wrong thing. And it was that it started like that. So I'm like, okay, here we go. And then when Prince actually came on on, on, on scene, it was more like a closed set list. So you or closed uh, room, so you couldn't be there for the sound check. Um, but I was allowed in. So that was kind of cool. And I just remember after that second show, he came, he was downstairs in the dressing room area with the girls and I'm sitting in my production office and he comes in and he peeks around the corner and, and kind of like this, kind of does, like, you know, I'm sitting there and he kind of does this like peek around the corner. Right? I'll see if I can get the, get the whatever. Yeah. So then it, he, he says, he kind of leans in and he goes, how is that? Wow. What are you asking me for? It? I'm like, amazing. Should I play more hits? What? What? What are you asking me? I'm like, uh, what do you say to that? What I'm like, trick question? Uh, I'm like, I mean, I'm sure the audience would love it, but you do you. It was kind of this weird thing. And he's like, maybe I'll play a hit. And then he walked away. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And then he levitates. So, Away. Yeah, and so then it turns into this like kind of thing. Oh, it's gonna get busy here. That's what happens yeah. at the bar. Um, yeah. So then it turns into this thing where he, where he basically says, um, uh, "What did he say to me?" So that was it. He does the show. He plays Purple Rain. 
uh, on the last show, on the last song, kind of like in this weird, he played Let's Go Crazy, he opened up with this heavy version of Let's Go Crazy, which he played on that live. You guys can check that out. Yeah. Um, but then we're we're loading out and everything's in the, in the, the black SUVs in the back alley. And I'm standing there just watching things go. And this window rolls down and it's him. And this hand peeks out and he shakes my hand. And he's like, I had a wonderful time. Thank you very much. And then the hand goes back in and the window goes up. And the, and the car and leaves, flies away. And, and the car flies away, yeah. And the production manager comes out and he goes, did you, did you talk to him? Like kind of like I'm an asshole for doing it, and I was like, "He talk fucking talked to me, man." <laughs> so, I was, uh, so that was a really cool moment, and um, you know, just just to share that when so many people I love, love, that. love him, and and uh, he was just I didn't get the I didn't get that sort of like combative guy. I got a I got a I got the second well, that's coming. That's right. Second coming of Hendrix. That's, I that, got yeah. yeah, that's what I love about it. it it's is because. Um, you know, he's got a brand out there that that he's one of those. He was one of those artists where you would not be surprised if his writer said, "Make sure you don't look Prince in the eye," right? Like you know, it's and then you're. But oh, I don't have a problem with that. Really, I don't have a problem with that. And this is this is why. Okay. okay. Once you okay. put yourself into a situation, all right, where you write, you've blown up, you become, you know, black ball book is got number one. It's and everywhere you go, people are looking at you. So on the street, people are looking at you. In a restaurant, people are looking at you. It's a, it's a whole thing. But at the venue, okay, this is your home away from home. People don't understand when we do shows, all of us, my office, my production office, we spend more time in venues than we do at our houses, in hotels. These are our home away from home. So if you're in our house that's coming in, is in the zone, trying to be in the zone of being a performer. Being nice is nice. That's fine. I understand that. But if every single person you meet on a show day, which could be upwards of 200 to 300 people, wants to meet you, shake your hand in the eye, and just stare at you like this as you walk past, it's just this weird thing that mentally, I would imagine you just change everywhere you went. Someone just was like, following you and making you uncomfortable. If you put that rule in, then people just don't and just have to stay. Then it allows the artist to, to actually just come up to somebody and support for the day and be like, how are you? Something like they grow or something like, you know, whatever. It, but it, it, when you, I don't, I don't think about it for artists. I, I think that there's a certain level of like fame and a certain level of that, that people have. Yeah, I, um, I think I see I, it as a as like one of those decisions that really famous people make, where you can oh, he's uh, you know his 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 self image is is as high or higher than the public's image of himself because I couldn't imagine Dave Grohl doing that. No, but uh, but I'm saying I don't disagree with an artist that does it because. I think the artist um, is just trying to be comfortable during the day and meeting. Two, listen, man, when I go on a tour, if I do three tours a year, I meet 300 people a year. I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, yeah, I, I can, I can hear it, but you're getting a little fady because when I when I go on tour, I meet. I think, I'm not sure if you're attached to that mic or not because that doesn't increase the volume. Just to let you know. Interesting. But just keep going. Keep going. Let me just. Uh, 
I'll just wait for this gate announcement to go away. This is the reality. Um, so anyways, I, the thing is, is that um, I don't have a problem with it because if whatever makes them comfortable and makes our day better is fine by me. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because our kids are long enough, and if we've got a temperamental artist that is pissed off, it can make everyone terrible. Fair enough. I, and you know what? The only, I've I've met a lot of famous people, um, and I can count on one hand the ones that were really yeah. awful. Anyways, because I think um, I think famous people are looking for human connection that has nothing to do with what they do for a living. And I agree with that. And and as I said to you, when I go on tour, I meet, you know, every, if I do one tour a year, it's the same hundred people. But if I do three different artists, I'm meeting 300 people a year. Yeah. That's a lot of, because I have to know what everyone's doing in every aspect of their job just to make it more efficient for everybody. Like I I need to try to, it's tough to learn everyone's job. Am I best friends with everybody? No, but I need, that's the head lighting. That's head audio. That's the carpenter. That's this. That's it. So if there's an issue on tour that, you know, they have a concern about something, it's it's generally solved by the production manager. But if it can't be solved by the production manager, it makes it to my desk. And I, I need them to be able to be like, hey, Brent, you know, this is what we're kind of experiencing. And um, so, you know, I meet, you know, 300 to 400 people a year. Imagine what an artist does. Oh. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, I give them a little bit. I give them a little bit of rope on the side. Um, have you ever had a situation where you were able to see um, an artist, not at their worst, but like, like I, I have a story about another friend of mine who um, who was a PR person, and I won't say who the celebrity was, but the celebrity was literally in crisis. They were upset. They were crying. And this person had to sort of calm them down. You don't have to mention the artist. I'm not looking for the tabloid angle, but I'm just wondering if you ever had to take on that role. Because I know that you wear so many hats when you're on tour. And sometimes you got to wear hats you don't normally wear. Talking well, anyone off a ledge, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it doesn't generally make it to me on the artist level. That's handled within. Um, but I have some hip-hop tours. I had to go to the artist to be like, absolutely. That girl's fifteen. That kind of thing. No, it's 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 more just attitude. It's more like, well, I mean, I can't say I haven't witnessed some debauchery. What I'm saying is, it's it's there's there's a certain amount of like respect, and I've said, and all along, it's like people make mistakes, they do what they've got to do. People are just plain assholes, but when you do it with malice, that changes the game. And so for me. Um, you know, I've, I've been out on some stuff that, that was like, that's unacceptable. And it's just attitude wise, like the way you're treating people out here, the way that, and, and that, you know, that I handle at a certain level, like the production manager say, whatever it goes up from there. So I've had a, a handful of those, but generally speaking, everyone's been great. I mean, almost everything I've ever toured with has been awesome. Um, you know, I have you- temperamental musicians and stuff yeah um dude if i left it open-ended and you can just tell me like your 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 most awesome or crazy story what would that be i don't care what what genre it is i don't care if it's good or bad crazy story depends on what it is i mean just good happy sad awful doesn't matter to me i'm just trying to from a career from a career career standpoint um you know being setting one to do and then doing 
that was a big thing for me. So that I, I know that's not very glamorous for any of the listeners here or the watcher. It's like, oh, great, you did well. But for somebody that's, if somebody aims to make the NHL and they actually play a game in the NHL, thank you so much. If they taste it, right? And so for me, that was like, that was a moment. Doing Pearl Jam in, in, in Toronto in my hometown after I lived in Vancouver, but then I ended up coming home and doing Pearl Jam in Toronto. Neil Young beside me, Woody Harrelson. I'm like, I, you know, I was at the time going, you know, I got a, I got a two relief dressing room with my. Why my don't cousin. I smoke weed? <laughs> yeah, it was, saying. it was this whole thing, and and then just to have that be like, you know, looking around and, and having that moment of like, of like, you know, uh, you know, I'm doing this for a living. It was a, it was a, and it was an amazing feeling. Um, I've had a couple of artists that you know I've become close with, um, over the years through this, which doesn't happen because I don't get a lot of interaction with the artists sometimes. And then I've met some people outside of the business that have become great friends because of what I do. So, you know, there's, you know, it's just that it's a cool kind of business to be in. Um, I, when I think of, of the stories of like, it's just show stuff, you know, it's, it's show stuff. I don't have any, like, um, I have to rack my brain a little bit. I said, oh, I, I, tell, I, I told the story the other on, on the initial Silver on Tour cast about Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters. And you can tell that me, story again because I love yeah. that story. Yeah. So we, we were in, um, I was in um, uh, Germany and we were on a day off and I was wearing a shirt, like a heart, like the rock band hearts. I was wearing that shirt and I'm at the front desk and I hear behind me, I hear, Heart fucking rules, man. And I was like, what? Turn around and it's Taylor from the Foo Fighters. And I was like, what are you doing here? I think we were in Cologne, Germany. What are you doing here? And they were on a they were on a stopover between the festival that they did and then the festival in Sweden where Dave fell off the stage. They were in between. And so he proceeded to, you know, spend some time talking to me about his love of heart and Sash Jordan and Alanis and and all this stuff because he spent so much time in Canada. And Hart's often mistaken as a Canadian band, but they're actually, you know, they might have broke up here, but they're from Seattle. So we just had this amazing chat and he put me in a box, you know, that was like just him and I for those 45 minutes. And he was asking me about my career and he was asking me about, you know, my favorite Canadian bands. And he went on, he went on about his favorite Canadian bands, Sloan and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was just a really cool thing. And kids, and here's the thing that you like about the humanity part. Kids were coming, people were coming up asking for a draft. And he politely told them to wait for just a minute. Because he gave me my moment in time. That's and then skill. he and then he was like, Hey, you live in Vancouver, we're coming to um I'm terrible, blah, blah blah, but make sure you tell your team, because you know he knew who I most stuff. Yeah. So he's like, make sure you do your team, you want to come down to the show. And I'll get you, you know, a tour of the kid or whatever, and make sure you refer to yourself as a heart shirt guy, right? That's heart so shirt, awesome. heart, heart shirt guy, because you can't really forget that, right? Yeah, like it's amazing. it's like heart heart it's a shirt guy. Oh yeah, he's the guy from Germany, whatever it was. But he gave me, he put me in that box in that moment, and that was amazing. Uh, yeah, you, the, the and, and yeah, no, way too young. Um. And, and unfortunately, not sober on tour. Um, you know, and I, you know, hopefully his family is Jury, trying jury's to find out. Him. Jury's out. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't. I don't. I, 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 sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, no, I, 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 I shouldn't assume like that, but, you know. 
Like, sure. I mean, there's yeah. there's the news, and then there's then there's what it is. So, who knows? Um, but I, but the reason why I like stories that much uh, like that so much is because first of all, the people that I've met that embody that are are a funny mix of people. Um, Bill Clinton was like that when I met him. Mm-hmm. He he was like. Uh, I, I met him, I, I was part of a press scrum in Saskatchewan, and I was working on a small paper in my 20s, and um, I, I I secured a press pass when I had no business securing one, and uh, my boss wasn't going to let me go, so I quit my job and went. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I asked him the question, and he, he answered it, and then afterwards, he walks up to me, and I'm just sort of standing there, and, and I turn around, and he's right there, and he's like... I need to let you know something. And he starts telling me that, like, he's like, that question that you asked was, like, the... And then his assistant came up, and he's just like... He just put his finger up like this, and he's like, and I want you to, like, dive into that question and ask as many of your leaders here in Canada the same question. The question was, like, how do you balance environmental sensibilities with economic realities? And he was like, you know, it's, it may seem like a simplistic question to a lot of people, but when they start unpacking it, they'll realize that it's a lot more complex. Than you think. Anyways, he gave me like five minutes, like five minutes in Clintonian times. <laughs> Seems a like a long time. What, what, what handshake did you get from him? Because he's got the three levels of handshake. You know, the I didn't handshake. We didn't shake hands. Even when he left, he just, he, oh, you know what? He gave me a pat on the shoulder. He's like, he's like, and then, and then one of those little squeezes and then he left. Right. But, um, and then KRS-One. Kara's one. This I I was at a concert in not a concert, a show in uh, Pepper Jacks in Hamilton. It doesn't exist anymore, and um, and I saw Kara's one there. I literally like got my six beers and stood in front of the stage like this, with my shoulders out so that no one would be able to like whatever. Watch the show. When he said he was doing his last encore, I left. And I was like, where's the SUVs? Where's the SUV? Oh, there it is. There's the SUVs. And I just sat beside the SUVs because I wanted to spit 16 bars with my hip hop hero. I wanted to rhyme for the go. guy. And, I, and, you know, that's always yeah. a weird thing. So he, um, this dude walks over. He's like, he's like, hey, man, can I help you? And I'm like, I'm just here to see if Kara's one will let me spit 16 bars for him. And he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Here's a, yo, yo, Chris. <laughs> he calls him over. And he's like, this guy wants to spit some bars for you. He's like, oh, word. And he walks up and he's just like, let's hear it, brother. And I, and I spat and we went back and forth for like five minutes. And it was fucking amazing. And like he was just generous with his time. I don't know what it is. Like we feel so like enamored by people who just share five minutes. But when it's certain people, it feels like everything, you know? Well, if it's something that you're passionate about, especially. Like if if it be a baseball player giving a kid a baseball at a game, but also playing catch with them for five see minutes. That? That's yeah, I've seen that. It was great. But yeah, and you know, the I've next seen... day when he met him and he cried again, and, and I admit my first thought was, you know, there's no crying in baseball. Like I don't know what this kid is doing, but someone's got to toughen this kid up. No, you know what though? It's like people have whatever the people. Sorry, this could be loud again. No, please. Um, just but the uh, people have their own version of of their heroes, and sometimes they say you shouldn't meet them because they're they're dicks and all the rest of it. And I, I understand that side of it, but people have their own path and journey of, of where they're going and when, however they, whatever gets them there. And if that that baseball moment changed the life of that kid, um, yeah, amazing. You know what I mean? And, and I and I, I love those stories. Like you know, on this tour that I just did. Um, you know, it's a lot of kids' first concert. So 
some of them, you know, some parents are it's, they're spending all their money, especially coming out of COVID. They're spending all their money to be in the top section. So we, we like to move people around and move them down. And there is no greater feeling, man, than taking a family, um, a dad, a son, or a mom, and a daughter, or a family from the top Raptors. And I'm like, hey guys, come here, follow me, and put it in front row, and watching their faces explode. It's the Do you film that part. shit? No, that's for me. No. That's for you. Oh, that's great, man. Um, they but, and everybody in our business. I tell everybody in our business that has close contact with that. Like yeah. we need to take something for for ourselves because, uh, you know, I I do this for when the lights go out. When the lights go out, and every single person in the arena is getting what they want at that moment. It's one of the only things in life where at, where twenty thousand people are gathered together, getting exactly what they want at the exact moment. Totally. Maybe maybe other than a Trump rally. That, yeah. Other than this, it's like. Let's say it's 20,000 people, but that's that's the same as when the puck drops, when the first pitch is thrown. Everyone right. is in the moment together getting exactly what they want at that moment. And um, that's why I do it. And if you can take a couple of families or people, you know, these kids are like, we, we our team, we mandate, guys, you've got mandates. You've got to, we, if we have room, let's find some families, let's move them, let's change their life. And um, that's why, you know, Billy Joel does, he keeps the front row for himself and he relocates people from the 400 because he doesn't want simple and good idea. Well, he doesn't want, you know, the, the, the the wall street guys that are going to be on their phone for a show. He wants the people that spent all their money in the 400 level to get upgraded to front row. So he consistently looks out and sees them smiling. MLS, he should do that. So Drake, we don't have to look at Drake every time we watch that. Um, I want to tell you a quick story just because uh, we're, we're sharing stories about famous people. And uh, this is one that was totally off the wall. I went to my buddy's bar. Do you know the Duke of York? I went to the Duke in, of York in Toronto, like Bedford and Bloor, just a little okay. bit north. It's been Prince, a while. Prince been Bar. a while. but Anyways, my buddy, uh, that's his bar, um, or at least, sorry, main bartender. And uh, I was at the, his bar, and I turn around, and I see a woman who was like the spitting image of Sally Field. So I sit in her booth. I literally just slide into her booth and I'm like, how are you? She's like, I'm great. How are you? And I'm like, no, I'm I'm not bad. And um, after 20 minutes, I'm like, are you Sally Field? And she's like, no, I'm not Sally Field. And I'm like, oh. And then we talked for another hour. I gave her my number. Remember, I was in, I was like 30. This woman was like 55, 60 years old, but she was to me like, a, I'm like, well, at the very least, I'll have a, you know, Sally Field doppelganger or whatever. And then, um, so we're talking and everything and like, I'm trying to be charming. She's laughing at my jokes. Her friend is there. Like, it was a fun conversation, but it, it made me feel like a young puppy. And then right at the end, she leans in, she kisses me on the cheek and she goes, I'm Sally Field. And then she she winks and she walks away and I was like, what the fuck? And her assistant comes up to me and she's like, I've never seen her so happy to meet someone that she rejected. <laughs> this is amazing. So it was like, I love the humanity part. You know, the, the, when, 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 when people that are bigger than life turn out to be human beings like the rest of us, it just makes me so happy. You know? And you got to respect those. Like I've got a handful of numbers in my phone that, you know. Yeah. I got some numbers on my phone of some people. And um, if they engage you, great. I, I, I you know, I'll, I'll send a, a hello or two if, if I see something. It's like, oh, that was cool. Nice or something. Yeah. But if they if they give you the the uh, the access to them, you got to respect it. So in my people are like, oh, you're around rock stars all the time. I'm like, eh, you know what? Sure. But I, I don't really necessarily meet them or, all the time. But 
there are things that byproducts of that that happen. So there's like famous agents that all of a sudden have you on speed dial, and that's kind of bad. And there's 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 the people like within my business and people I look up to mentor wise that you're like happy to have that guy or girl's number, you know, who can, you know, I can uh, ask for advice if I need to on, on certain things. And then you know you, you do get a handful of people in there that uh, you know, I guess would have a certain amount of yeah um you I, i'm not sure where you're heading next is there anything that you want to plug because we're gonna we're gonna i'm just I'm gonna jumping on i'm jumping on a plane i'm heading home i got a couple of weeks home and then i go to europe uh, with this thing again and then um i'm out for about three weeks this year uh busy for me. do you have kids yeah that must be hard eh? yeah i'm touring their whole life though so i sort of like you know it's when I was home with the COVID thing. They're like, "What? You need to, you know, it was great to." I'm sorry. Who are you? Home. <laughs> yeah. It, it was great to be home. Everyone was me at a time, and, and our business will never get that kind of break ever again. But um, it was also sort of like, "When do you go back on tour again?" Well, it was funny, but I uh, yeah. So uh, I'm Brenton on tour podcast uh, weekly right now i got the sober on tour series happening uh kids on the escalator with uh, my co-host chris um we talk about uh, pop culture comic book movie film and um uh, yeah just fun you know being amazing to be a network and, and meet people like yourself and i gotta tell you dude pretty stoked to watch you and abby on a show the other day thanks for making that happen you know i've been pushing that i've been pushing that yeah. agenda for a while so yeah you're the first person i thought of when i was like who should i talk about with uh, uh, uh who should i talk abortion with and then i was like abby and i'm like Brent is right. yeah so that's good. listen um brent donnelly um uh not a black donnelly but still uh, a, a good donnelly um okay. thank you man i love having you on the network i i think that your your job is really interesting your podcasts are great and um yeah we'll, we should cross paths a little bit more often on maybe even Absolutely. have a have a a, a a mineral water and lime or something when we see each other in trouble or two coffees uh, yes you know I guess they got my rider when I came in. Yeah. Yeah. I like to double fist coffee. Okay, sir. Well, no, right, right. Don't look him in the eye. Okay, you got it. Um, Brent, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Have a safe flight home, brother. All the best, man. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk soon. No problem. That was Brent Donnelly. Um, I love that cat. He's a good guy. Um, <clears throat> the people in Montreal could not be ruder. My goodness. Come on. Can't you see that there is a man here trying to do a podcast in the middle of the airport? Um, I haven't received my confirmation email from him yet, but tomorrow on Blackball, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's coming. Um, I will have Rod Black on the show and I'm sure he's not watching this podcast right now. Um, nor do I think he'll watch it before tomorrow's show. So I got to run something by you guys. Maybe you can hit me up in the chat or, or possibly in a, in a DM or something. Is it me or does uh, the like Rod Black is like the best porn star name never used, isn't it? If it, it, it feels that way, but then I realized he's white, so his great porn name is wasted on him. No, I love him. He was like the voice. What did I say in the ad? Um, if sports announcing were a music, Rod Black would be. Th sorry, if sports announcing was a movie rod black would be the theme music and that's how i feel about that guy um big thanks to brent donnelly 
aka Brent on tour, Brenton on tour, um, from the Kids in the Escalator podcast as well. And um, I'll see you later today at around four o'clock on the Dean Blundell show. And I'll see you tomorrow when we have Rod Black. Uh, thanks for watching Black Bottom. We'll see you again soon. Black do did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.